I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I'm so lonesome I could cry. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I am always supposed to be in Paris. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of practice theory and Cartesian linguistics. Today, we'll be talking about the last season of The Expanse on Amazon Prime. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about The Expanse on Prime. <laughs> there's, a, there's only two more weeks left, so you know, be patient. And also, maybe you didn't know this, dear listener, but we started as an Expanse recap podcast, and we are going to finish as an Expanse recap podcast. <laughs> At least finish this season as a re- Expanse recap podcast. That's right. Yes. We're going to finish recapping The Expanse. That's right. the, what I meant to say. Um, yes. We know a lot is happening in the world of science fiction while mm-hmm. we are recapping The Expanse. In fact, I went to see The Matrix Resurrection this morning, and I liked it. It was good. It's about an hour longer than it really needs to be, <laughs> but... <laughs> So but, it's a Marvel film is what yeah, you're saying. But there is a critique of capitalism in that movie. Okay. Yeah. So we will be getting to that. Right. So if you have some suggestions of what we might take on after we finish The Expanse, which again is just two short weeks away, there are a few ways you can do that. You can reach out to us via Twitter. I am at Anna Marie Cox. He is at Dan Dresner. And we also have a Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash space the nation. You can comment on posts there or you could become a patron. Dan, why should people become patrons? Well, it's not a well-known fact, Anna, but within the Build Back Better bill, <laughs> Space the Nation patrons actually will get a significant amount of interest. No, I'm sorry. That's not true. There are multiple benefits of patronage, none of them requiring uh, federal government support. You get access to swag, which is pretty cool. You get early access to all of the we podcast We shall be episodes. doing a call for new t-shirt designs in the new year. Ooh, this is true. Way. We have some, we've, we've been spitballing some ideas. We've got some good, good energy and good mojo working there. You also can uh, access our Discord channel, which is a tightly knit group of uh, really interesting individuals. You also get access to our monthly MAs, which we do on the first Saturday of every month. Most important, if we get to 250 patrons, we are more than halfway there, we will do a special patrons-only episode on a topic chosen by you, in fact, the patrons, much as we did when we hit 100 patrons. Also, a great way to support the show that costs you nothing is super easy to do. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Just a little bit of social capital maybe Mm -hmm. rate and review the show tell your friends and neighbors and speaking of the show let's talk about the expanse we are talking about season six episode four redoubt yes and redoubt starts as all of season six starts uh all the season six episodes start with laconia in which there's a wake and you know what wakes are weird but they're even weirder (laughs) on laconia (laughs) so in kara's habitat they're having a gathering with zan's corpse on a gurney Uncovered in the middle of the room. Okay, sure. There are hushed whispers about Zan dying because of a driving accident. Kara is sad, but talks to Admiral Duarte, who seems sadder. They talk about grief and the concept of sacrifice and how Duarte feels alienated from Mars. Kara, the sister of the dead person, (laughs) cheers up Duarte because, sure, that's how a funeral service should go. Nine-year-old. The nine-year-old. Sister of the dead boy. And also, I want to stress that actress, that was the best line okay. reading that that actress yes. has delivered so far. Yes. That like do Agreed. better, you know, feel better. And the smile there, I that my heart melted at that. I know you don't like kids, kid actors, Anna, but I actually thought she killed that line. I agree. I think this particular episode, that particular scene, I think it was elevated by the actor par- playing Duarte. But more mm-hmm. on that in a bit. Finish up your right. summary. 
They are interrupted by uh, Paolo Cortazar, who longtime watchers of The Expanse will recall, is the proto-molecule scientist uh, from previous seasons, who seems very excited about something. Cut to proto-molecule ship just wandering in orbit. At night, Kara wheels Zan's body on a gurney, which is lit, into the Laconian woods, and I bet the strange space dogs are going to be involved in what happens next. Mm. So, Anna... I'm curious about your thoughts of Duarte's explanation of sacrifice, and also, is it me or having casual conversations around Zan's corpse hella weird? It was a strange opening scene, Dan, for (laughs) for many reasons. I want to bookmark the Duarte conversation. Sure. What I want to discuss in in detail a little later. What Mm -hmm. I want to say now is that that actor did a great job. Yes, that's fair. And I'm bringing the book reader point of view to this and Mm -hmm. i don't know if you got the same vibe i'd be interested because in the book he's one of my favorite villains in any series because Mm -hmm. he's incredibly (laughs) well-meaning like and and honorable and charming and he really believes he's doing the right thing but he's a monster right (laughs) those are always the most dangerous villains yeah and, and i think this guy was able to convey that congeniality mixed with menace in a, a really cool way. So I confess that in part, I, we only met Duarte last season. Is that correct? I mean, I believe we Duarte, had a brief, brief, like introduction to him last season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he gave it. He was the one who gave the talk at the Martian War College, which I was so giddy about it being the Martian War College that I had forgotten that it was Duarte. Yeah, but I, we don't really. I, to be honest, I knew the name and I knew the significance, but I he didn't register all that much last season. And so I, I guess as a as a non-book reader, I was impressed with the scene and I liked, it was an interesting conversation and sort of frames the entire rest of the episode in a lot of ways. But I didn't think of Duarte as, I didn't think of Duarte as, oh, this is such a great villain because I-, I Well, no, you're not ways- going to think of him as a great villain yeah. yet. I guess what I yeah. wanted to know, <laughs> yeah, of course you're not going to think of him as a great villain right. yet because you don't know what he's up to yet. Trust exactly, me. Exactly, yes. He's a villain. <laughs> I'm sure he is. I have no doubt of that. Trust me. Yes. We've got some some stuff coming. Well, I don't know actually <laughs> how far they get into it, but you know, it's bad. It's it's bad yeah. stuff. What I was curious about is if you got that same vibe of like charm, but also, oh, this guy's not completely right in the head. Like, I got that from the fact that he was saying what he was saying yeah. to, again, the grieving sister. Right. But yeah. charming. Like, he's, like, being charming, but he's also... No, he was... It, 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 yes, in the sense of it wasn't like... And it, it, in some ways, the you know, he's not Cortazar is the way I would put right, it. Right, you know, right. Cortazar is someone who lacks empathy. I mean, he literally was... There was an operation in which he all the empathy was removed yeah. from him or something. Duarte is trying to comfort Kara, but is doing so in a very strange way and... I mean, it's what I got from that scene was, okay. Duarte is trying to explain why he's going to do whatever it is he's going to do. And I'm probably not going to like what he's going to do. But I and now at least have some sense of where he's coming from. Yeah. So in that sense, it was an effective scene. I agree. This is not a very subtle plot arc in terms of (laughs) what might happen with Zan's body. Yeah. And also speaking of Zan's body. Man, it sure was easy for a nine year old to wheel her brother's (laughs) dead body out of her house. Like, there which, are no rules which, in Laconia. If nothing okay, else, Anna? seems like it would be noisy. 
And also, why is her dead brother's body on a gurney in her house? Yes, I still don't get that. Also, I love that the gurney has lights. Like, no gurney in the history of gurneys ever has had lights before. I know they obviously had to have lights because otherwise the scene doesn't work. But, like, what designer of gurneys thinks, you know what? Headlights. put some lights on this thing. Headlights. You know what? That's what's missing. (laughs) That's that's like a Homer Simpson designing a gurney. It's all I'm just, you know, again, it's nitpicky and I'm sorry and I get why they needed the lights, but still. All right. All right. Let's move on to our next location, Dan. Right. Let us go on to series where there is a battle for the hearts and minds of the belt. Sandrani is giving a firebrand speech to Belters saying, we'll never know who's responsible for the water tank explosions that Marco was totally responsible for. The speech seems to play well with the Belters listening. The UNN admirals want to go public with the info implicating Marco, but Avasarala thinks Sandrani will just say false flag, rendering it somehow meaningless. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced about that, which we will get to in a second. MCRN Admiral Corono makes a pretty compelling argument that the joint fleet should leave Ceres and burn hard for the ring and attempt to take control there. Avasarala thinks that's a rash move and that they need Belter allies. Carino informs her superiors of this conversation, and they reply that Mars is prepared to go for the ring without the UN. Monica, who it is safe to say is still in a bit of shock given the explosion, is in the morgue with the UN bodies. She talks about the dead while she's recording. The UN and admirals don't want her to have this access, but Monica points out that Avasarala promised her and they relent. Later, Avasarala uses the footage that Monica has cut from the attack and thinks that it makes the UN and the Inners look weak. Monica responds that it makes everyone look weak, and that's the point. Anna, I suspect Avasarala's caution will look wise in retrospect, but I have to say that I find Carino's argument way more persuasive at the moment. Why shouldn't the joint fleet leave Ceres on its own? Also, Anna, of course, we do this now in every season six episode because Anna Hopkins is killing it as Monica. It is time to grade Monica's reporting. I was going to ask you about the tactical decisions made in this episode. Actually, there's a bunch of them made. Very yeah. few of them seem especially wise to right. me. Right. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And although I like the idea, and we we discussed before, you know, the weaponization of humanitarian aid, mm-hmm. and I think they should, I mean, personally, I think it's a good thing to stay behind an aid series, but right. you could also burn for the rings, right? Like, yeah. you could do both. And I, I don't know what you gain by not going to the rings. I'm not sure either. I mean, I admittedly, Marco is presumably looking for the UN fleet to, or for the inner fleet. Oh, that's right. He keeps saying he can't wait for them to He keeps saying he can't wait, which is fair enough. But, you know, and and so there is a way And also, oh, I just realized something. He also keeps looking at those fancy new ship designs. Right. And I assume the fancy new ship designs are things that the inner fleet, uh, the joint fleet has not seen before, and that could potentially be threatening. But to be fair, from from the joint fleet's perspective, I think, let me put it this way. From what they know now, right? Yeah, there's two separate decisions to be made. The first is... Do they leave Ceres because apparently the Belters don't want them there? And I have to admit, I'm not sure how that should play. But, like, I'm also not sure whether everyone believes Sandrani. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a real weird thing. And I want to know more about Sandrani's motives here. Like, is she just entirely part of Marco's crew? Because that didn't really jibe with what we saw in the first yeah, episode I, of the season either. I, I was super surprised. Yeah. I confess, when I saw uh, Sandrani making that speech, I lost the sound for a little bit. And I Mm -hmm. assumed they were giving a pro-UN speech. (laughs) I saw it was a fiery speech, right? Right. But 
I, I didn't expect them to come down on that side of it. So mm. I don't know. It seemed out of character. It yeah. It was it was a, a who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? And again, part of, like they've made a choice here, and I, it's not an insane choice, which is to say that the Belters are still going to side with Marco because they don't like the inners at all. But like I will say this: if that's the case. That actually bolsters the military's point that humanitarian relief is not working in series, and therefore, and also since the base now has minimal strategic or logistical value, maybe they should leave. If they want them to leave, there is an argument that if this is how self-determination is supposed to work, let them leave and figure out how they're going to feed themselves. Now, I'm not really thrilled with that, and I I don't, you know, It's an understandable decision. It yes. is again. I was just surprised by Sanjani because when they discussed Marco before, mm-hmm. they are not too fond of him, right? Right. So, like, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, on to Monica. <laughs> I thought it was a great piece, a great little package. Mm-hmm. I liked the inner cutting between the Belter giving his personal narrative and then the yeah. scenes of the damage done by right. that act of terrorism. Mm-hmm. I know it's a Vasarala who used the word weak first yeah to say it makes us look weak so i understand why she said well you know it makes everyone look weak right right don't love that word right a human human i would say it makes everyone look actually real yes that would be the better way of thinking about it yeah and it it is a just genuinely nice little piece of journalism i especially Mm -hmm. liked the end the kicker as we say in the biz (laughs) oh where the belter talks about how he, he can't even get enough water to wash his hands Mm. and probably unintentional, but that's a nice little button on the idea that war dirties everyone's hands. Oh, oh, that's good, Anna. That is good. I will add on this. I, that was a good piece of reporting. I also liked, again, I will props to Anna Hopkins. I, she played the scene in the morgue in particular. There's a lovely editing choice where they go from the firebrand speech to the admiral's talking to the morgue where you see all of those UN body bags. And it is a very effective sort of moment in which you see the toll, but you see both the cost and lives. And also Monica looks a little stunned. Like she Mm -hmm. is still clearly suffering from shell shock. And I I thought that was a very lovely, it was a well-played beat. The only thing I have to add in this section is kitty. kitty. (laughs) And the hilarious name for the cat Lucky Earther. <laughs> and, and apparently cats have the same personalities like 300 years into the future. They don't have owners. They have staff. There we go. And I just really appreciate that. Although, again, I have questions about pets in space, but I'm just going to go with it because I, I like my I like I like kitties. So <laughs> let's move on, Dan. All right. Let us migrate to the Rossi. I have literally titled this section, For Fuck's Sake, Holden, uh, and you will see why. So everyone is recovering from the battle with the Pella. Bobby and Amos are listening to Alex's music. Clarissa finds the log showing that Holden, in fact, deactivated the nuke. This does not sit well with Amos, who doesn't see any logic behind it. Holden says it was his call and it was a gut decision. Then Holden goes and admits what he did to Naomi, which pisses her right off because she thinks it's a patronizing move because it's a patronizing move. But we'll get to that in a second. (laughs) Holden explains that he can't be the one who kills her son and that she's already traumatized. Naomi, 
responds by pointing out that she refused to martyr herself on the mantle of motherhood when she was on the Pella in the first place. The only one who really sympathizes with Holden's restraint throughout the entire episode is Clarissa, who tells him about the weight of all the deaths she's caused. She concludes, don't ever feel bad about not killing someone, which is a lovely sentiment, and I tend to... Yes. Anna, Holden said it was his call to make to Amos, but God damn it, it most definitely was not. I'm sorry, it was not his call. Bobby had launched the nuke. Yep. All he had to do was nothing, and you have decapitated the free Navy. That is not an insignificant thing. And you know what? If it's your call, make the call. Don't do it, like, offline where no one can tell. Right. Right? And then lie. Like, then lie about it. Like, yes. let or them not believe it anything. was... Well, yeah. let yeah. them believe, lie by omission, let them lie believe by, it was a yes, dud. exactly. You know? I mean, so. all I kept thinking was is that I think Holden thinks this is the trolley problem in space of, like, you know, is it his responsibility if he doesn't kill them, like, some, you know, somehow... I, I don't know. I'm not even, like, entirely sure what his logic is. And also, uh, at some point, Bobby is going to find out and kick his ass. I'm just going to suggest that point. I hated this so much. I, I, as much as I loved hearing Hank Williams, which at this point must be like listening to Beethoven, right? right. Like it's yeah. like it's like hundreds of years old music, still mm. fucking awesome. There you go. But as much as I liked that touch, this just infuriated me because Holden is being quote unquote Holden. Yes, we've talked about this before, listeners. Holden, but Holden. and I, I want to talk about this more when we talk about themes, but. Usually Holden's problem is that he's thinking too much about the greater good mm-hmm. and willing to sacrifice himself, willing to hurt Naomi mm-hmm. in order to, to serve the greater good. And this is just completely flips that. I, I do sort of hope that Bobby finds out <laughs> and would like to see that scene. Although, on the other hand, I mean, how long could Holden last? Like, you know. Not it, long. It, yeah. It's like a WWE match versus a like piece of paper <laughs> like just that's he's he, i'm trying to say he's lightweight dan that's what, <laughs> what what if holden put on his armor from from last season though <laughs> that Perhaps. was some that was some serious armor you know Perhaps. Yeah, i'm just saying okay all right let us move to the tynan in which we discover that michio of episode four is not quite the same as michio of episode one so, Drummer's crew is poised to steal Marco's cargo, with Michio staying behind on the Tynan. They board one of the cargo holds, but are surprised by free Navy guards. The ensuing firefight causes Joseph's arm to be pinned against a fallen cargo container, and he's bleeding out. But Michio moves the Tynan in, boards the cargo hold, and after 127 seconds of attempting to free Joseph... Not even a little chuckle at that on? I'm a little hurt. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't get it actually first time. I I, I now get it that you said it. And <laughs> Never mind. And I actually again. have not seen that movie, even though I am. Neither have I, but like I've seen, I know the title. That was the reference, oh, obviously. Oh, okay. Well, yes. all right. But it's fa- true. No, 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 don't it's worry. a movie that involves amputating an arm, and how often does that happen? Exactly. There you go. All right. Okay. I did think it, it was rather a quick decision. I mean, honestly, like... <laughs> like, he, no, but, it, it was about. It was less than 127 seconds. 127 yeah. seconds was too long. It was actually, I think, about 30 seconds where. It, although she, people bleed out really fast, so I that's don't know. true. 
Yeah. And and yes, but anyway, the point is, Michio, clear thinking, amputates the arm. With some cargo secured and the rest cut loose to drift, Drummer sends out a wide beam message, taunting and savaging Marco for abandoning Ceres and the Belters. I expect Marco and his pretty, pretty hair will take this very calmly. <laughs> Anna, I am glad that Michio got some redemption here, but now agree with you uh, retrospectively that her unsteadiness in the first episode of the season seems bizarre. Also, I still don't understand how the Free Navy folks got on the cargo hold. I didn't understand a lot about this sequence. The only thing I understood was Drummer calling out Marco because that was just going to (laughs) happen. You know, like they didn't need anything else to happen in this episode for Drummer to get to her breaking point with Marco, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't understand like how the Free Navy people got on the cargo ship. I didn't understand like were they expecting like as she points think- out, if you're guarding it, you would want to put a ship around it. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since one way to steal that cargo is what they did, which is just to fucking detach it and pull it along. Yeah. Which in which case having a couple people on board doesn't help much. They're just also, stolen along if, with everything else. I don't understand why they were hiding. It was a confusing... One of the things I admire about The Expanse often is that it doesn't dumb down things. Like, it doesn't hit you over the head very often with, like, right. plot details. Yeah. The disadvantage of that on occasion is that literally there are plot details that'll go by you and it's not entirely clear what's going on. And this was one of those. Yeah. So... And I am also glad that Michio got uh, some redemption. I also still find that opening scene of her with literal (laughs) shaky hands to be hilarious because it it just it's no one does that. That's like a thing I've never seen in real life for someone to shakily be like holding their finger over a button like, you know, it's like something that happens in like Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know why I can press this. It always makes me think of Blazing Saddles. That as well. But of course, I mean, we love we love drummer. We love seeing her like yeah. get to the breaking point that she had already reached, mm. really. And of course, Buster Poindexter in space, um, very <laughs> happy about her decision. Apparently, I think I saw on Twitter that James Corey, uh, the Ty Franco, I think runs the James Corey account, said that they had auditioned that actor for Ashford and for other roles on the and and. and Potentially even Marco, I'm not sure. But like he had tried out for multiple roles before and that, that this was finally – they were very happy they were able to cast him. He's so. great. He, every him. scene yeah. he's in, he brightens up. Totally yes. love him. All right. Let us move to, I believe, our last location, which is the Pella, in which Philip pouts and pouts and pouts and then pouts some more. So Marco is still angry about losing in battle to Holden. He is working through his issues in a mature fashion by ordering senior people from the Lauba to be spaced. When Rosenfeld starts to object, Marco says to space the Granicus captain if he objects as well. Rosenfeld goes to see Philip and tells him that Marco is not acting rationally, but Marco is also the leader, and he relies on Philip for emotional support, and so, hey, maybe start emotionally supporting your father. Philip gives lip, and Rosenfeld responds by giving more savage lip right back. Rosenfeld had to go and see Philip in the bowels of the Pella because he's been demoted to repair duty. His new boss man, who I'm not sure we get the name of in the screeners that uh, Anna and I watch, but is a great character. Ooh, um, brag. <laughs> sorry, yes. <laughs> Look, listeners, if you're wondering how can we record this so like you get it less than 24 hours after the episode <laughs> drops, 
I, I can tell you one of two stories. One is Anna and I are super efficient during the holiday season, or we've done this perhaps a little bit in advance. Yeah. So, you know, you can We did not get the one. name, but please. Boss Mang, uh, repair yes. guy. Boss Mag Repair Guy is trying to figure out what Philip can and can't do. Philip is mostly good at pouting and being resentful, to be honest. Philip does warm to his Boss Mag upon learning that his brother is on series, however. Marco and Rosenfeld talk, and Rosenfeld explains that she chose not to space the Granicus captain, and that Marco is being way too emo about his loss to the Rossi. Surprisingly, this seems to register with Marco. Rosenfeld also says that she wants command of Medina Station when the war is over. Philip's new boss and Philip are breaking bread and getting to know each other a little more. Uh, his boss says the nuke, which they have retrieved from the hull of the ship, was actually deactivated prior to it hitting the ship, which Philip does seem to file away in his brain. Then Drummer's message arrives, and it stings the crew. Philip, angry, does his best Marco impersonation and says to everyone within earshot that there is no turning back now, and then stomps off. Anna, I'm now warily Team Rosenfeld, but although I cannot support her free Navy tolerance of genocide, I can support her rhetorical smackdown of Philip. What say you? Dan, I think the only way to be Team Rosenfeld is to warily be Team Rosenfeld. <laughs> She's not true. a person that inspires a lot of trust, I no. feel like. From the very first episode, I have found her kind of sketchy. Mm-hmm. I want to say also in, in an episode filled with some real gems of small roles, Philip's boss Mang is awesome. Like, yes. I think of all of them, I think mm-hmm. he might be the person that stands out the most to me because I just completely bought him. Yeah. No, I want to know more it. about him. I, I think it would be the way yeah. to put it. And we've talked before in previous seasons about how The Expanse does its small characters very well, that even like minor characters get you know, interesting emotional beats and we, we learn about them. And really, I don't know how much screen time he had, but we learned an awful lot about this character, not just through what he said, but also what he did and how he said it, which well, I thought was I, impressive. And, and I bought his range of character, which is that yeah. he's both, you know, very worried about his brother, but also mm-hmm. pulls the hilarious prank on Philip, <laughs> where he's like, oh no, I'm stuck and the nuke is live, which I completely bought, much like Philip. Like I was like, uh-huh. oh no, because I... I do think The Expanse cheated a little because there is like ominous music playing. Mm-hmm. So, and they do kill people pretty regularly. You yeah. Know, kill, and he was a minor character, so it wouldn't right. have been that uh, unbelievable right. to kill him. But I thought I both bought him kind of pulling Philip's leg, as it were. And then mm-hmm. I also bought him being worried exactly how to treat Philip. Like, right. He was great. I don't know. I don't know why. Right. One of the nice I things so strongly about that, but no. One of the nice things about the the entire episode is that you can tell that the boss man knows that Philip is Marco's kid. He knows that Philip in practice outranks him by multiple steps. And also, I did love how Philip occasionally would realize and try to say, "No, no, no, you're the boss. I will do whatever you say." And then, like five minutes later, would just bitch and moan about the fact that he had to do something. It was it was classic teenager behavior. Before we move on from the Pella. Uh a couple comments on Marco. Yes. One, I still laugh every time I see his uniform now. Like, it's just, <laughs> I don't know what he's wearing, but I love it. And then, you know, there is this kind of, to me, squeamish romantic vibe between him and Rosenfeld. Uh, and he seems to be kind of turned on by a woman talking back to him. I was going to say, I wouldn't describe it as romantic so much as sexual. Those are not exactly okay, the same thing. Sure. The time I've spent in the Midwest coming out, um, <laughs> being a little more delicate than I really am. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to point out, and this is consistent with Marco's character, men like Marco don't actually 
find themselves attracted to strong women. They -hmm. are attracted to the idea of breaking them down, which we have seen from Marco. This is true. Naomi. Naomi's a very strong, opinionated, headstrong woman that Mm -hmm. eventually Marco emotionally abused into trauma. So I I just don't think we should give any, just don't give him any fucking credit for being attracted to like, Oh, I wasn't like cool lady. I don't know if you would, but I'm saying like, just let's read this for what it is. Yes. Also, and here I will give Rosenfeld some credit. I don't think Rosenfeld will be abused in quite the same way that Naomi (laughs) was, which maybe speaks to Rosenfeld being a little more closed off. Well, I would, I mean, and I know that's, you're kind of joking, but I just uh, sort of time out for just a slight serious point here, which is that, um, we can never know what kind of woman will be abused in what kind of manner. And that a lot mm-hmm. of abuse, especially in couples where the woman seems an independent, you know, intelligent woman, there can still be abuse that a lot of people write off because, oh, she couldn't possibly, that couldn't possibly be happening. No, that's an excellent point, actually. You that's know. a, I'm glad you made that point, actually. That's a, that's a, so I would point. be, I mean, yeah. again, just a little bit of a serious interlude here. No, no, no. Yeah. She does seem different from Naomi, but I don't think that that, difference means that she she wouldn't be broken by marco who is a sociopath yes but a, so. one with pretty pretty hair let's never forget that right. so uh dan yes anna is there ir in this episode anna there is ir in this episode and that is no false flag so the first and and key element about IR in in this episode is in fact false flags. So false flags are moments in which something happens and you're trying to assign blame and a false flag is essentially trying to cast blame on a different actor than is actually responsible. And or it's a way to somehow distract actors from what is supposed to be the primary threat. So it's the creation of fake news designed to cast blame towards other actors. I'm going to be honest, false flags happen a lot more in the minds of people on social media than actually happen in real life. There is no denying that there are attempts to engage in disinformation, and that has been true historically. But really, it doesn't actually happen all that much in real life. There are exceptions, and those exceptions often do happen during war. So, for example, the start (laughs) of World War II, you know, which is the Nazi invasion of Poland, there was an attempt to actually have like there were there were some SS troops that I believe dressed up in Polish uniforms and then fired on on German soil with the pre- the claim there was that at least supposedly gave the pretext for the Nazis in invading Poland. Now, it was a false flag that no one believed, so it doesn't really work in that way. I I was going to say like I there's a more recent example, Dan. Okay, go go for it. Which is when Project Lincoln sent some Nazis to a Gary Youngkin rally. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that worked so well that Youngkin got elected. Yeah, that is about how well I think most intentional false flag operations usually work. Right. I think I love the way you put it. There are far more accusations about them Mm -hmm. than there are actual false flag. Right. So let me put it this way. In terms this is or 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 they're so successful. We don't know about them. That's true. We still think the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Anna. I mean, without knowing what actually happened. Who knows? The way I would put it is... Jet fuel can't melt steel. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a a 
fine line between someone claiming false flag and someone actually just spinning up a conspiracy theory, which interestingly enough is what Sandrani, you know, is is uh, what they are doing in that firebrand speech. That said, I, this is where I, I guess I dissent a little bit from The Expanse, which is I don't understand, if you're Avasarala, why you don't leak the information or make public the information about who was the, the fact that it was Belter explosives responsible for the uh, explosion of the water tanks. The worst case scenario is that Sandrani claims that, you know, this is propaganda, and that might convince a few people, but it always is going to cast doubt, which was already pre-existing given that Marco cut and run from series about how Belters there feel toward him. So there was never a downside to releasing this information. It's just that Avasarallo might have been correct in saying, just by releasing the information, you don't automatically swing Belter sympathies. That's true. But but saying, oh, no, no, we're not going to win them over because of false flag vastly exaggerates the influence of false flags. Um, I think Vassarella is playing like 3D chess here, mm-hmm. which she, she may be. What you could do is let Monica's video piece go out, mm-hmm. which is established as a connection between inners and Belters, right? Mm-hmm. And then you release the Marco information via Monica because mm-hmm. she's gained credibility. And people are more sympathetically inclined. That would be true. Although, again, I, I guess the way to put it is, I don't think these are mutually exclusive options. Maybe putting Monica's no. doc out first is is better. Yeah, that's but, what I'm saying. I'm just yeah, saying, like, yeah. you soften them up. Fair enough. Soften them up. The other thing we see, and we've talked about this before, I think, in previous episodes, is essentially this war between the inners and the belters is leading to various forms of social construction and deconstruction of the enemy. So a lot of the characters are trying to figure out who is the exact enemy and who is not. The simple argument is, well, anyone who's a belter is on one side and anyone who's an inner is on the other. But as we see throughout this episode, it's not that clear cut. And I thought the most interesting exchange actually comes at the very end when um, Philip's boss man says, well, at least it was a belter who stole the cargo. And Philip says, no, 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 she's the enemy. And at that point, you know, given what we've seen in past episodes, you kind of have to ask, Philip, who are you fighting for then? Who is not the enemy in Philip's mind? And it's not that big. War does tend to lead to a or sort of force a dichotomy between friends and enemies. What is interesting in this episode, and we'll talk about this a little bit in the themes, is seeing how different actors try to define their enemy either in an expansive way or in a narrow way. So more on this a little bit later. I just feel like I need to point out every time you use the word actor in that way that you're talking about the IR. I am you. Yes. Like, what I'm saying. Word. Just as a general rule, <laughs> listeners, when we get to the IR component of the episode and I say actor, <laughs> I'm talking about states or governments or violent non-state actors or what have you. I'm not talking yeah. about, you know, Keon Alexander and his pretty, pretty hair or, you know, Kathleen Robinson and how she's killing Rosenfeld. Right. Right. But speaking of which, Anna. Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this episode? Dan, there is. There is. Oh, good. However, I would like to get to it via our themes and quotes segment. Oh, good. Segment. Okay, so we're, we're moving right on then. So let us do some themes and quotes. First of all, some quotes. We're doing something good here. It's important. And if we win, it'll make all of this worth it. Even the parts we had to give up along the way. This is war. And it won't be over until we are dead or victorious. Or else everything that we fought for. The blood that we spilled. The Baratnas we lost. All will have been for nothing. 
There's no turning back now. So I struggled with exactly how to name this theme. Mm -hmm. Uh, One idea I had was sacrifice. You keep using that word. (laughs) It is about people mistaking the meaning of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It also might be hubris. It might be just fucked up leadership. But it's people thinking that they're making sacrifices, but actually just going on power trips. (laughs) 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 And the first one is Duarte, right? And I wanted to reach through the screen a little bit because my friend you can't just call something a sacrifice you can't just be like oh i you know hey that thing didn't i lost this thing and it's a sacrifice Mm -hmm. Hmm, why is it a sacrifice you don't get to like retroactively call something a sacrifice Mm -hmm. it if sacrifice is when you know the costs Mm -hmm. right and you are actually giving up something yourself yeah i would say the way i would say that that's not sacrifice what duarte was doing was weaponizing grief or weaponizing loss. And he's not even, I mean, I guess, okay, let's give him some credit that he's he feels grief over the quote-unquote loss of Mars, right. right? I don't think he's, another way it's not a sacrifice is I don't think he's grieving his loss of Mars right. so much as the idea of Mars yes, that's and correct. Martians becoming soft. Mm-hmm. Like we've been talking about, we've been wondering what's going on on Mars. And I think apparently it's a continuation of what we saw you know in uh, season season four four, which is that it just it's a bit of a confused place they've lost their identity Mm -hmm. and i think duarte is kind of sickened by that more than anything else i would say the way to put it is that duarte it's not even grief do you know what i mean like i don't feel like it's even grief he's just like pussies you know? Well, it's a reactionary. It, 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 Duarte is a reactionary in the sense of yeah. what he wants, what he misses is not what Mars is. It what it's what he thinks Mars right. used to be, which very well might not be what Mars actually was, even in the past. By the way, exactly. um, although presumably it's a little closer to what he thought it was. But but yes, that's that's correct. And I'm going to take these examples in order. Okay. Holden, mm-hmm. I think he doesn't use the word sacrifice, but. He uses his, you know, puppy dog eyes. He does his holdening to try and convince Naomi that he made some kind of sacrifice to not nuke the Pella. Mm -hmm. Like, he's kind of like, see the anguish I'm in Mm -hmm. over not doing this. Mm -hmm. And no matter what he says, the argument he makes to her when, when she says, you know, you're being patronizing about this, he's still being patronizing. There's, it's patronizing and selfish. It's, because ultimately, what he even tells her, oh, God, this made me so angry, I is I chose not to decapitate the Free Navy because it might make our sexy time hard. <laughs> you know, like, because mm-hmm. I don't I don't want you to look at me and think that, you know, I killed your son and I don't want to be that guy. Right. That's actually what he really focuses on. I don't want to be that guy. Well, you know what? Sometimes leaders have to be that guy. And furthermore, (laughs) I'm going to. So again, I'm going to point this out. I honestly don't think Naomi would have thought that because Holden didn't take a. She's up for it. Holden was game for it. But more importantly, it wasn't Holden who fired the nuke. Holden didn't take a proactive move to kill Philip. Bobby fired the nuke. It was the appropriate thing to do because you're at war. You want to decapitate the leadership. All Holden had to do was nothing. Yep. Yep. And also, I mean, Bobby even says something like, fuck this, I'm doing yes, it. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, she, she even takes it upon herself. She really like, does. Even though Holden, I think, tells her not to. Right. That's correct. And also, 
Naomi actively wants to do this. She's very much in favor of this strategy. Mm -hmm. And I I liked the interaction between Holden and Clarissa. Mm You yeah. know, and it was a very sweet interaction between them. Yeah. And I agree that you shouldn't beat yourself up uh, over not killing someone right. if it's in a non-wartime context. Right. This is say. a war. And you are literally <laughs> able to kill the person responsible for the genocide of Earth. This is not an insignificant yeah, right. war crime. It's not, it's not even like a little. It's like right. it's not even like a stupid little war. Right. Like it's not Vietnam. <laughs> it's like. It, it, you know, we know why we're there. Right. Like <laughs> Marco has committed genocide, yes. right? With Philip's like, assistance, I would add. Although, yeah, with Philip's assistance, yeah. billions of people, right. right? And by not doing that, he may have gotten more people killed. Yeah. And in fact, I didn't even think about this. He gave them a nuke. That is correct. Although I don't I think I think that was one where it's like they've got nukes. Well, so yeah. I, I, but again, I, it's not I'm a good sure thing. They do, but like it's not good. Yeah. All right. And then there are parallel quotes, which is kind of cool, because Duarte says, if we win, it will make all those things mm-hmm. worth it. And then Philip says, everything we fought for would all be Right, right, thing. yeah. And this one's a little bit tougher to kind of jimmy into my theme if, if we're talking strictly about sacrifice, because I don't know if Marco thinks in terms of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But he definitely thinks in terms of anything for the greater good, mm-hmm. right? And his whole let's space them approach to middle management. <laughs> That's a really you know, dumb seems, form of leadership. There's just no other way to seems, put it. It seems short-sighted, yeah, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. And I think it's a it's a way of, of saying, like, I'm doing all this stuff and you're making me look bad, right? Mm. And it's just not sustainable. And Marco, you know, is the one asking people to make sacrifices. He's not ultimately making them no very convenient that way isn't it yeah and and Dan, yes Anna. <laughs> okay so i also have a couple of themes from this episode no i mean oh, no, no, that's capitalism we are we are asked to sacrifice our labor and our leisure in order for some dream of self-betterment mm. and the illusion of class mobility but ultimately it's the Rentier class who really benefit, and they sacrifice nothing. Ooh. There you go. Rentier. Rentier I was going to say, it's the Rentier There's class. Them. Yes. But ultimately, it's the Rentier class who really <laughs> benefit, and they sacrifice nothing. Anna, this is the one right. moment where I wish that, that, that listeners could actually watch the video, because your hand gestures while you were saying that were spectacular. I am waving <laughs> them around. I am punctuating my thoughts with dramatic is, yes. hand gestures. <laughs> Just imagine that. Okay. I can tell you, I can tell you, listeners, it's pretty goddamn spectacular. <laughs> okay. All right, Dave, what about so you? So I got? have two themes. One is about leadership. So you're going to need to explain that to me. Because if we're not trying to win this fight, I don't know what I'm doing out here. It was my call to make. And I don't owe you a fucking explanation. Are you pissed at me for asking? Or because you don't have an explanation to give? As you say, a lot of this episode is about sacrifice. A lot of it is also, frankly, about subordinates questioning the actions of their superiors. And I think in many cases, justifiably questioning the actions of their superiors. So Amos and Naomi do this to Holden on the Rossi. Uh, Rosenfeld does it to Marco on the Pella. Amasarala's military advisors do it to her. And even Michio kind of does it with her competence undercutting Drummer's past decision to offload her. And uh, what was interesting about this episode is that normally... 
I, I think this is true not just for sci-fi, but just for, you know, serialized television as we normally think about it. Normally when leaders are questioned, leaders' wisdom is eventually, you know, borne out. The idea that if a leader does something questionable in the short term, eventually their long-term justifications will be uh, will be borne out. I'm not so sure about that this time. I mean, maybe it will be, but like, I think there were legitimate doubts about each of the, the leader questions that we have uh, talked about. And it... I will say, in defense of all of these people, it's not easy being a leader. I keep thinking of a line from, of all things, a very mediocre sci-fi movie called The Core. Uh, an Aaron Eckhart An Aaron Eckhart, Hillary Swank joint. But she does have a lovely little speech by Bruce Greenwood, who is, I think, plays Iverson, who is like the senior military commander dealing with the, the younger Hillary Swank. And he talks about leadership being not just about ability, but about responsibility and saying you're not really a good leader until you've lost, until you've made the really shitty decision. And there were a lot of shitty decisions made in this episode, honestly, <laughs> the way I would put on that. Yeah. It is true. The other true. theme, which I talked about in terms of IR, is hatred. I'm so tired of the hate. Just tired. I can't even wash my hands. There's no water. As much as Holden being Holden is annoying as fuck, there's just no other way to put it, a large undercurrent of this episode is about defining the enemy and how hatred leads to a widening of that definition. Avasarala and Holden don't want to define it too broadly. Avasarala wants to win the hearts and minds of the Belters, and I think Holden doesn't see Philip as the enemy. He clearly sees Marco does, but like, I, I think he thinks of Philip as an innocent, which is bullshit, but whatever. I sort of get it. What is interesting, though, is that Marco and Philip essentially want to define it as broadly as possible. So it includes all the inners, and now it includes belters like Drummer. And indeed, even we recall from last episode, you know, as far as Marco's concerned, everyone on series is essentially the enemy because they have the slave mentality. And so it is interesting in some ways in terms of, uh, to think about it normatively that the characters you're rooting for are the ones who try to keep the enemy defined as narrowly as possible, and the ones you want to see have their comeuppance defined the enemy as broadly as possible. Thanks, Dan. Oh, oh, oh. oh no! It's, it's the cargo falling <laughs> off of the Oh, Titan. no. It's the... Don't, don't amputate my arm. I'm fine. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I told you, okay, 60 seconds have passed, and I've decided to amputate your arm. This is where we talk about the things we didn't get to talk about earlier. Dan, what do you got? Not really a ton of things, and we've talked about some of them. But first of all, this might sound like a little weird point. But again, that wake in Laconia is, is just disturbing me. <laughs> and It's a very it's odd, odd scene. And, it and is. also, I'm just going to put this out there. Like, even on the frontier, I think they had the concept of your Sunday best. And like... Really, if you're going to have a wake, like, why wasn't anyone dressed up a little bit more formally? I mean, surely they could have packed one set of nice clothes. I I didn't recognize it as a wake at first because I was like, is this just like a really crowded inquest? Yeah. You know, like, like, are they going to do an autopsy on him? Like, because it does look like that's what he's ready for. It doesn't look like a funeral. This again, he's on a gurney. I was was actually going to ask you, Anna, if there was like some Martian ritual in the books that I missed somehow in terms of death. (laughs) But that was how how bizarre it was to me. 
all right. The other thing, and, and we've said this before, as you say, the, the boss man character for Philip was a really good small character drawn well. I also love the line where he described his brother as good at helping others, bad at helping himself. That's just, a, again, it's a nice piece of writing and how you can sort of draw a sketch in, in less than a few seconds. And more generally, the supporting actresses are having a really good season this season. So in addition to Anna Hopkins as Monica, Kathleen Robertson is making me intrigued by Rosenfeld. I'm, I'm now warily team Rosenfeld. Again, I'm going to call out Vanessa Smythe, who plays Michio. Trembling finger aside, actually, aside, the thing I yes. legitimately loved in this episode was that brief kiss she gives to Joseph right before she amputates the arm. That was a yeah. great little moment, and I, I I really liked that. And also a completely different character than the one we were first introduced to. That's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I'm not blaming the actress. I am totally blaming the writers <laughs> uh, for that one. All right, so I just have a mm-hmm. couple things. Number one, I already mentioned mm-hmm. Hank Williams in space. Awesome. I yep. hope we hear more. Uh, and I've always loved, we, I haven't had a chance to mention it. I've always loved, as a Texan probably, I've always loved the idea that Texans are on the frontier in space mm-hmm. as well. So country and western music. The and they, the they spend a lot then, of seconds on that song. I really liked how they did that, by the way. Like they didn't have, they didn't have to do it that did. long. But they, like, I was like, okay, uh, this is a good vibe. I'm, I'm liking this. And it's pretty hard not to sing along <laughs> with that song. So I liked it when they both started mm-hmm. singing along. And then just got a note of Asarela's necklace yep. game on yep. point. I almost didn't recognize it as a necklace in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was just this enormous metal thing. But it looks sharp. Mm-hmm. She can carry it off. And I think that is about mm-hmm. it. Have a happy new year, everyone. May the force be with you. <laughs> we only have two more episodes of Expanse left, and then we are on to our new season yes. as well. And until then, Dan. Keep this channel open for more. <laughs>